For the first, uh, we're going to be talking about COPD. Uh, so COPD is a really common sort of IMT interview scenario and at an SHO or F2 level coming into IMT, uh, what you'd broadly be expected to do is, is initiate a focused examination, investigate and begin in some of the initial management uh, uh, of patient presenting with an acute exacerbation of COPD. Um, Broadly speaking, you'll be expected to know as well what are the kind of red flag or warning signs um, which should alert you to escalate and get some help from a senior. Um, I think it's important to mention before we go into it that the in the IMT clinical scenarios for the interview, they're not really out there to trick you or mislead you. Um, if it's going to be a COPD station, they will make it fairly obvious to you that it is COPD, for instance. Um, but at the same time, you will get more marks uh, if you demonstrate that you're all <clears throat> you're also considering other sort of reasonable diagnoses at the back of your mind, for instance, COVID or PE, and making sure you're ruling them out as you work through your assessment. So kind of just thinking out loud, uh, showing the examiners that you know you, you probably think that it is COPD, but you're as you're working it through, you're also ruling out other stuff as well that might be important. Um, the last thing to say as well before we begin is, you know, showing a broader level of understanding and considering sort of the outside things as well uh, is important in getting you some of those higher level marks. So considering whether or not this patient would be for resus, uh, they commonly are fairly unwell in the interview scenarios. Uh, so it's important to consider that whether or not they would be for escalation uh, and knowing when uh, someone might need escalating to a senior clinician for consideration of HDU or ITU. So we'll just get straight into it. Um, so COPD is, is really common. So in the UK, the second most common cause of emergency hospital admission, uh, mostly sort of infective viral or bacterial, but also remember that COPD can be caused by uh, non-infective causes such as air pollutants, um, mostly, you know, caused by smoking or exposure to, to smoke, which causes chronic airway irritation, inflammation, which causes emphysema, as well as hypertrophy of the airway mucus glands and causing small airway fibrosis. So, Going into the assessment, um, the most important thing to begin with is making sure that you've got a good history of the patient coming in with an infective exacerbation of COPD. Uh, and I think the best way to start is they're almost certainly going to come in with shortness of breath uh, in the question stem. Uh, so you want to know, you know, you have to want you want to quantify what the shortness of breath is and a good way to do that is by establishing establishing a kind of baseline so understanding what they were like on a good day when they were well prior to the exacerbation what they were able to manage say on a flat or around the house if they're housebound and comparing that to what their current exercise tolerance is now for instance um you know perhaps previously they were able to get around the house unaided but now they struggle to even get to the bathroom. So, you know, having that comparison is really helpful. Um, the next thing you want to know about their COPD is whether or not 
you're dealing with an infective or non-infective exacerbation, uh, as this will guide you as to whether or not you start antibiotics. So things to look out for uh, predominantly are cough. So uh, lots of patients with COPD will have cough anyways, but a good way to sort of see whether or not this is infective is whether or not they're producing uh, increased amounts of sputum. So A, increased sputum and B, uh, increase change in color of sputum. So if it's more green or if it's more yellow, uh, that will sort of indicate or point you more towards an infective source of uh, COPD. Um, sorry, so the other thing to, I'd add from that point of view yeah. is, you know, is there any fever? Has there been any coryzal symptoms? Um, which would again obviously point you towards um, to, towards an infective cause. Um, I completely agree about um, establishing what their baseline is and that change in um, their functional status is really important and can help you to uh, determine you know how significant this exacerbation is, how different are they to usual. So I usually like to find someone's baseline exercise tolerance as you said, what can they do on a good day? And now what's making them breathless at this point? Is it on minimal exertion? Is it on you know, walking a few meters? Is it on climbing the stairs? And it just um, yeah, helps to pin down a little bit exactly what their symptoms are. Yeah, so uh, once you have a good idea of um, their history of their breathlessness, you might want to at this point start sort of asking about other common respiratory symptoms that might help you uh, rule out other potential like uh, reasonable diagnoses. So thinking about things like any hemoptysis, so if they've coughed up any blood, uh, whether or not they've got any symptoms of orthopnea, which might point you towards a different diagnosis like heart failure, uh, whether they've got any chest pain or particular pleuritic chest pain, uh, which might point you more towards, for instance, a pneumothorax or pulmonary embolism, uh, and also considering uh, perhaps a malignancy as well. So thinking about sort of uh, constitutional symptoms like night sweats, uh, weight loss, uh, and things like that. Um, was there anything you would want to add to that, Tom? Um, no, I think I think those are all really important things, and I think you know as well as potential different diagnoses, um, it can also point you towards are they developing any complications of their COPD exacerbation. So for instance, a secondary pneumothorax could be a complication of the exacerbation as well as a different diagnosis. You know, do they also have any signs of um, right-sided heart failure, core pulmonale as a complication of their COPD? So everything is, you know, a little bit interlinked as well. Um, and just trying to identify any complications of their of their condition is useful. Yeah. Uh, so another thing that might be helpful in the history, uh, if you've got the time, is is um, thinking about the frequency of their exacerbations. Uh, for instance, in the last twelve months, how many times they've been admitted to hospital, uh, or whether or not they've had previous admissions to HDU or ITU, and that will give you an indication as to sort of. Uh, the potential severity of, of, of um, their presentation. I think the things to add to that in particular would be, have they ever had NIV before? Have they ever been invasively ventilated before? Um, because ha having previous NIV is a big risk factor for needing NIV again in the future. Um, and I suppose moving on from that, uh, 
another way to quant another good way to quantify it is thinking about how much of the inhaler therapy they are using at home. So they'll normally most patients with known COPD will be on sort of a maintenance uh, inhaler, uh, but they'll also have sort of a relieving inhaler. So they're salbutamol usually um, and knowing how much they're using, well, how much they use regularly uh, on a good day compared to how much they're using now might give you uh, a potential sort of idea as well about you know how bad this uh, this particular exacerbation is. Um, it might also sort of knowing whether or not they're on long-term oxygen therapy at home or sort of ambulatory home oxygen might give you a sort of uh, idea as well of what their COPD is like um, and might show you know a, a broader understanding of, of COPD. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I completely agree. I mean, obviously, being on oxygen is a you know big risk factor in terms of your, by definition, in chronic respiratory failure. Um, so they're more likely to be more precarious. Similarly, are they on home NIV overnight as well? Um, because again, that would put them at increased risk of uh, acute acute hypercapnic um, respiratory failure as a complication. Um, you mentioned about inhalers. That's, I think, really important point to mention. Um, you can tell quite a lot potentially by looking at their inhalers, particularly um, are they on an inhaled corticosteroid um, as part of combination therapy, which in COPD, assuming that it's been prescribed correctly, would tell you that either they're having frequent exacerbations or they've got a sort of degree of asthma overlap slash eosinophilic airway inflammation which is again useful to know um so yeah always always look at the inhalers um and you mentioned already uh salbutamol use people often tell you um they're using their salbutamol much more uh similarly home nebulizers as well um some people are obviously on them at home um and it sort of probably vaguely correlates to degree of symptoms but sometimes you know people a huge variety of COPD patients can be on salbutamol nebs and there's not strict criteria like there is for LTOR or NIV. Um, and I think the last few bits um, in a kind of focused history I think uh, particularly in a respiratory history might be important to, to sort of ask at the end is whether or not they've been traveling recently, because um, that's potentially a risk factor for PE, but also for sort of a, a pneumonia um, and other kind of respiratory infections that might be relevant uh, to think about and rule out as well. Um, other respiratory, sort of fairly respiratory specific things in the history to know is what their occupation is like, if they're still working or whether they have retired, you know, what they used to work as, whether or not there is any potential for sort of industrial sort of dusts and uh, chemicals, uh, things like asbestos. Uh, so knowing that as well uh, at the back of your mind uh, might be, you know, something that that shows a higher level understanding and whether or not they've got any pets at home, uh, which which might be a potential sort of trigger for for uh, their COPD. And just a, an, another important thing we haven't mentioned yet is their smoking status. Um, so obviously if they're a current smoker 
then we know that that's a big driver for uh, COPD exacerbations, um, you know, either infective or non-infective. Um, whereas if they've if they're now an ex-smoker, then you know that's obviously a, a good sign and is the most important intervention by far in COPD. Um, so yeah, really important thing to know. So I think that's that's kind of what I the points that I kind of thought of Tom in in the history. Was there anything else uh, from your point of view that, that you thought might be important to know uh, in a, in a COPD history? Um, I don't think so. I think I think I think we've covered the um, covered the main bits. I think the my 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 focus during an interview station like this, you know, where you've got limited. Um, time would be to you know establish the diagnosis exclude any important differentials and get any clues to any complications of copd which might be apparent um, and the basic information such as smoking status um, the existing copd therapy which will give you a level of background information to be able to work with and be able to give a sensible plan to the examiners and uh, in my experience in the interview as well for the history, I mean, it sounds like there's a lot to get through and I know the station timing is quite limited, but they do sometimes give you some of that information already. Uh, for instance, their smoking status or, you know, telling you that they've not traveled anywhere recently. Sometimes they actually give you that in the stem. So then, you you know, you, you obviously don't have to ask about that again if yeah, that's yeah. already provided. So, um, yeah. So as Tom I said, think, just going through. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that's a really good point. Use whatever information they give you in the um, in the vignette. Um, but, you know, if they give you very important things like, you know, smoking status or um previous critical care admissions, I would make a point of repeating that back to the examiner to you know, make them aware that you've taken that on board and that you're taking it into account. Cool. So uh, moving on to the examination. Uh, so again, you might be expected to sort of say what you would, uh, what you're looking out for and how you would examine the patient. Uh, and I think the most important thing before you begin the, the examination is to know what their vital signs are. Uh, sometimes they, they often give the vital signs to you, but if not, it'll be good to ask for it. Uh, so you want to know uh, especially what their SpO2 is, uh, what their respiratory rate is like, their heart rate and their blood pressure um, before you even start the examination. Uh, so I always start by sort of from the bedside, you know, what they look like. Uh, and immediately from there, for someone with COPD, you know, you can tell what their work of breathing is like. So whether or not they're in respiratory distress, uh, whether they're in respiratory distress, uh, and you can see whether or not they're using their accessory muscles as well. Uh, and that can be sort of fairly obvious sometimes from the bedside if it is quite severe. Um, you can see lots of neck breathing using their sternocleidomastoid or, you know, from their diaphragm, uh, you know, so so even just from the bedside, looking out for things around the table, like whether or not they're on oxygen at the moment, um, whether they've got anything around their bedside, uh, like any inhalers and uh, and things like that, is it's always a good start. Um, so normally in an interview scenario, sometimes they want you to work through an A to E approach, uh, but I think. Let, I think what what I sort of the way that I structured it is kind of looking at what the particular examination signs are in you know specific to COPD 
and you can kind of incorporate that into your into your A to E assessment, particularly the B section. Um, so in the peripheries, the things that I would be looking for in COPD as I approach the patient is looking for uh, any features uh, from their hands, uh, any tar staining, uh, clubbing, uh, looking at their face, any signs of polycythemia, which might indicate sort of uh, more further down the line kind of COPD, uh, any peripheral or central cyanosis, uh, what their capillary refill is like to know the general hemodynamic status, um, asking them to extend out their hand to see whether or not they've got a tremor from uh, salbutamol use uh, and ask him to pop their wrists back to see whether or not they've got a flap or anything that might suggest CO2 retention. Uh, and also looking for sort of features of core pulmonale as well, um, whether you know they've got edema uh, or congestion or hepatomegaly, uh, things like that. Um, yeah. Yeah, completely agree. Um, I think, yeah, I think you're right. There's different ways of doing it and different people have different preferences. Um, some people might like to at least mention that they do a ABCDE assessment just to alert the examiners that they're you know, approaching things in a structured patient safety focused way. Um, but then obviously important to mention all the other things you've, um, you've mentioned as well. Yeah, so uh, moving from peripheral to central, um, looking at things like JVP, so again, features of core pulmonale, uh, whether they've got central cyanosis, how they're breathing, whether they've got pursed lip breathing, and looking at the chest as well to see if it, you know, it's symmetrical, or whether they've got any sort of chest wall deformities. Um, and I guess, British examination is going to think about percussion. Uh, to look for any dullness or hyperresonance, uh, which might which potentially might indicate sort of other pathologies, uh, and of course auscultation as well. Uh, looking at their air entry, whether it's equal bilaterally, whether they've got any wheeze that you can hear, um, either through auscultation or sometimes even by the bedside as well, uh, and whether they've got uh, any clackles uh, around the lung. Uh, yeah. Um, is there anything else there, Tom, that, uh, from an examination um, point of view? No, I mean, I think I think that's very comprehensive. So I think it's just incorporating that into your A to E approach, uh, you know, mentioning some of the key things that are relevant to, to COPD as, as you work through it uh, in your A to E. Uh, so the next bit is the, inter uh, the investigations uh, that you do for someone with an infective exacerbation of COPD. Um, so I suppose I'll start with maybe the most important thing that you want to know in someone with COPD, which is uh, what their oxygen status is like and whether or not they're a CO2 retainer. Uh, and I think the most important uh, investigation here is the arterial blood gas. Uh, so you almost certainly want to, to say that in the interview one of, as one of the first things uh because that will kind of dictate what your oxygen therapy is going to be like and it will tell you it'll give you a good measure of how severe uh the, the copd is by looking at their ph uh, and their bicarb um so you want to get a arterial blood gas uh you'd want to send off some bloods 
uh, looking at their uh, whether they've got any markers of uh, infection, like looking at their white cells, looking at their CRP. Uh, we also want to know in general, you know, as well, what their renal you know, function is like and what their liver function is like as well, uh, just as a baseline. If they're pyrexial, you might want to think about uh, sending off a blood culture. Uh, and if they are coughing up any sputum, uh, to send off a sputum culture as well to see if you can uh, get some sensitivities for uh, which will tell you what kind of uh, which will guide your your antibiotic uh, therapy um, in this kind of day and age as well you probably want to consider a covid swab for for anyone coming with shortness of breath uh, it, it might be something that the interview interviewers uh, you know uh, would want to know uh, that you've got an understanding look you know that, that COVID is, is a problem at, at the moment so important to take into consideration uh, you, you want to get a chest x-ray as well uh, and one thing to say is if they're unwell as they commonly are in the interview scenarios to say that you know you'll get a portable chest x-ray uh, so you don't risk sort of sending them over to, to radiology, for instance, without any portable oxygen, which uh, wouldn't <laughs> reflect very well uh, on you, but would gain, gain you extra marks if you if you sort of knew that and took that into consideration. Um, yeah, that, that's... Yeah. I mean, I think the... <clears throat> I think you made some really good points. I think ABG is obviously really important. Um, and the main thing that you're looking for acutely is are they in acute hypercapnic respiratory failure as in are they acidotic with a pH of less than 7.35 and hypercapnic with a PCO2 of more than 6.5 because if they are um, despite medical management then you're looking at commencing NIV whereas if they're not acidotic not hypercapnic then it's very much focusing on um, best medical management Similarly, uh, chest x-ray, I agree, you know, if they're unwell, um, you should get a portable x-ray, especially in a fictional scenario. Um, and it's useful not only in um, you know, excluding something like a pneumothorax, but also um, helping you to determine, is this a exacerbation of COPD or is there consolidation on the x-ray and this is actually a community acquired pneumonia presenting with a exacerbation of CAPD because that would obviously change your management in terms of antibiotic choice etc um, so always be able to you know give a reason why you want to do the investigation and how it will change your management um, you mentioned bloods um, obviously inflammatory markers white cells CRP will dictate you know the likelihood of this being an infective exacerbation versus um, non. Something else for if you really want to get some bonus marks is to mention that you would look at the eosinophil count. Um, again, as we mentioned briefly before, you know, COPD is probably a bit of a spectrum with, you know, very much an asthma COPD overlap at one end to, you know, bullous emphysema with no inflammatory airways disease on the other end. Um, and if the eosinophil count is, you know, high, then, you know, that might be a group which would respond much better to um, to corticosteroids and, you know, should almost certainly be on a uh, steroid inhaler in the long term as well. That's a really good thing to mention. Um, and yeah, I completely agree. Sputum cultures are essential if they're productive. 
Um, and, you know, I'd always send a, a viral PCR swab as well for not only, you know, not only COVID, but it'll tell you flu and uh, RSV and rhinovirus. And yeah, it'll give you a trigger. Um, not available everywhere, but certainly good to say in an interview scenario when cost and logistics aren't an option, not an issue. 